Test one, two, three. Test. Can you hear me? All right, let me join in here. Let me get Anthony and Ishan. All right, send in. I hear you. You can hear me. Hey, Brad. What's up, bro? Let's bring you up too, man. If you want to speak, you can be up here with us. You don't have to, but I encourage it. How are the vibes in Atlanta? Dude, the vibes are crazy out here. My gosh, there's just so much going on. I could imagine. Hey. Anthony, I thought you were actually out in Atlanta for Render ATL. Are you showing up later or you're not attending? Nope. No, I, I have some family duties to to attend to. I could not make it, unfortunately. My, my mom is visiting St. Louis. I was a no-go on any conferences for this week. Yeah. And also, See I would have to pick between this and Graph Day, which would have been very hard to do as well. <laughs> There's too many things to do. When is Graph Day? Now. <laughs> it's oh, happening. Uh, okay. Meow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looks like we got Theo here. Yeah. Howdy, yeah. Howdy. here, man. I, uh, Super excited. I just, you left us with some really interesting thoughts to chew on last week, so we could continue that. I actually checked out your run-through on the RFC for the Next.js layouts. Uh, as well. We could potentially go over that. That was really interesting. But Scott, you're down there in Atlanta for Render ATL. What's the vibe like? I think today's the workshop day. Is that correct? Yeah. Sorry. I had my mic off. Yeah. We, today is workshop day. So there's a, there's actually, so if you had RSVP prior, there was free workshops at the Midtown Hotel, which is where I'm actually at right now. You, if you go see on Twitter, you can see the pictures I put up about five minutes ago. And it's just such a beautiful hotel. It's insane the amount of things they have here. And then the actual event is at the gathering and that is starting tomorrow, but there's actually the paid stuff. The paid workshops are over there. So free ones here, paid ones there. And then there's a bunch of evening activities all over the city that you can RSVP for. A lot of them are already full if you haven't RSVP'd already, but it is insane the amount of things that you can do here, the amount of people you can meet, and just the stuff that, that you can learn. So it's amazing. So I'm not down there. and The conference hasn't happened yet. And last week we were at the Remix conference. And my takeaway from that, if I was to sum it up for folks in a technical sense, was what struck me is for a React conference, a front-end development conference, I saw a lot more talks on performance and specifically waterfalls. I hadn't seen HTTP waterfalls for the longest time. And it was refreshing to see that in a front-end, you know, developer conference. When I look through the Render Atlanta, you know, list of topics, and the talks haven't happened yet, what strikes me as interesting is there's a, a lot of talks on areas that I typically don't see on a different level. I'm seeing a lot more about community and inclusivity and accessibility, in addition to to normal technical topics. So there's one here on like error boundaries and serverless that I see James Quick is doing. But then there's stuff about how to get started with open source that Brian Douglas is doing, which makes a lot of sense given his open source project. There's stuff on inclusive design and accessibility. There's actually, Shondai is doing Remix is a browser framework, which I think she had also done at Remix. Um, but there's a lot more here that's on the social side or the human side, shall we say, than I've seen in conferences in the past. I don't know if anybody else looking at the agenda was struck by that as well. Generally, I've definitely seen a trend towards the render as you fetch conversation. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of stuff around that, re really, like the render or the uh, Remix conference stuff. I think that's one of the big things that both like Remix and the core React team are in testing in right now with like React server components, with like loader patterns, with tying the data to routes rather than to components specifically, and generally trying to move fetch out of components directly. I think that's a general trend yeah. that we're seeing. And obviously the talks are gonna follow that. Everything else for the most part from what I'm hearing sounds like the usual variety. It's cool to have more like back-endy error type stuff talked about in front-end communities, but I think that's just the consequence of Remix and Next catching on so much. I think front-end developers are talking about back-end more, and as a result, we're having more back-end conversations. The only thing here that feels particularly different from years before is that render as you fetch is the new, like, meta. Yeah, and hence the focus on waterfalls as well. Do you feel like that was pushed by Remix or do you think it was organically like the React team was organically already going towards this with server components. It just hadn't materialized 
fast enough. Organic's a weird word. I feel like this is a thing that's been happening for a while. Like we've always seen the hatred for SPAs from a lot of different yeah. communities. Like the Rails community, for example, has been shitting on us forever. Absolutely. In yeah. single page app land. Yep. And I think that this is the almost like the expected like extreme response. Something I argue about a lot is I think that render as you fetch is great for a lot, but not for everything. And in an application like what I'm building at Ping, which is a video app for Zoom-like video calls in browser, the render as you fetch pattern is fine because most of the page content is cached and immediately loads and loading spinners and like delayed response actions and like making a responsive experience is what we're optimizing for. Render as you fetch is like primary goal is reducing pop-in and loading state. And as a result, like, plus like addressing waterfall resulting in a slightly faster experience to get a full content page. I would rather get a way faster experience for an empty content page and have a slightly slower fill-in for the content after for application type experiences. But it varies so wildly. And I feel like everybody's prescribing their solution as the solution for all right now, which has been its own frustrating thing. And I think we're going to see an aggressive swing the other way in a few years as a result of it. Aggressive swing which way? I think right now we're swinging back to multi-page apps yeah. and server rendering. Yes. I think we're going to swing back to client side again, and we're going to be going back and forth between these forever. It's the new imperative versus declarative, <laughs> where we just go back and forth all the time and complain a bunch. That's very interesting. because One of the things I wrote down for a topic, I don't know if you saw uh, Nolan Lawson had an article, the balance has shifted away from spas. About three weeks ago, we discussed this with the, the shared element transition API, the things that came out of Google I.O., Chrome implement, implementing paint holding, back forward cache, and you've got Astro and similar frameworks really embracing MPAs. So what you're saying is these are on the on the hype cycle and your sense is we'll go back to spas again and client-side rendering with maybe the benefit of server components and things like that. My, my, my feeling is this swing back is for very good reason. Like the community is moving back towards client or server rendering because we client rendered way too much shit yep. that shouldn't have been client rendered. Yep. But I have a feeling what we're going to see is the next like Zoom clone or the next Twitter is going to be made with something like Remix that's heavily server rendered instead of something like Next with SPA behaviors. And it might seem better at the time, but we're going to see that like the speed of switching between pages and things isn't as great as it is on your like e-commerce site or your blog. And similar to how SPAs are overprescribed right now, like your blog shouldn't be a single page app. Your Twitter clone shouldn't be a multi-page app. That makes sense. It's, I do think that what's been happening is everyone thought they needed a single page app. And for something that's purely content, it's hard to argue that it needs to be a single page app and you need all that overhead. When a multi-page app with, especially with the transition API and other things like that, like once you browse a piece of content, you move on to the next thing. You don't need your scroll position to be held from where you last were and things like that. So it does feel like we over client side rendered a lot of stuff. And the way I think about it is like, are you trying to build an app or are you trying to build a site? Which is very similar to how Swix has, has said, Svelte is for sites and React is for apps. It's a similar distillation of it. Is that kind of aligning with where you're thinking or you're suggesting something different in terms of the line? Of yeah, universe? very much so. Okay. I, I think site versus app is a little too like, big of groups. I remember where I saw a post. I, somebody wrote a post a while back. God, I wish I remember who it was, but it was like the different types of like websites and like they broke them down into five and it included like content sites or like static content site, dynamic content site, e-commerce site, application, media platform. And it was like what each of these is and how their restriction or how their like needs differ. God, I wish I could find the post. It was really good. I have it saved somewhere, but yeah. I think that we're not quite granular enough in how we talk about the things we're building for. And that combined with the fact that React is fast enough to do pretty much anything on a modern computer or phone that it gets used because it works when you're developing it. And I think that's the problem that we don't talk about enough. It's the, if it works on my machine, is the reason why we're seeing so many SPAs shipped as blogs yep. or shipping as, or blog shipping as SPAs because in your dev environment, it feels totally fine. And then when you ship it, it feels totally fine on your like brand new MacBook or your fancy computer when you live on the West Coast and you're shipping on West too. But the impact of these decisions isn't felt enough. 
and I don't know how to fix that. Are you saying use the right tool for the job? I'm saying that using the wrong tool for the job to hurt more. <laughs> Agreed. I think Google is actually the ally here on this with Core Web Vitals. I think a lot of people don't realize that they did two things. One is they made Core Web Vitals impact your search results. So now there's a clear benefit to performance beyond just, hey, I get better conversions. Better speed means better conversions. Everyone knows that mantra. But now what Google said is, Better speed means more organic traffic. So you can almost think of it, a faster site never got new people to come to your site. If you wanted to get new people to come to your site, you had to spend that money on ads. Maybe you're better off spending that money on improving your site's performance. So that's makes everybody in the organization now have an ROI that they can get around. We can explain that to the CFO, so to speak, right? And then the other thing they did with Core Vitals is they made it defined by real user metrics. So it doesn't matter what your Lighthouse score is. It really matters what your users experience in their native environment, as long as they're caveat using your Chrome browser. And there can be differences. I remember looking at the pre-Core pre Vitals score, the Chrome UX report, and you would see very different regional differences. So if you were say a site that was servicing folks in say South Korea, they generally tend to have better scores because people had better connections. And so what affects your users, how will affect your traffic rank. And I think that'll get people to care. I think it's working its way through the ecosystem and it'll also be calibrated to how much of a ranking effect they weight performance in the search results. I think that might help, but the awareness of that still seems very nascent. That might well, help. I think yeah, and on, 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 the, yeah. on the subject not yet too. Like I'm feeling triggered because in my new role, which we're now starting to utilize layer zero plug, but yeah, I inherited a relatively young Next.js app that 90% of its surface area needs to be super SEO optimized and ecstatic. And like it is, the struggle is real. And like, even the interactive parts are like some buttons. It's not really, I don't know, a form or two, but it is yeah, just like, what are we getting for all this? I'm not really, my last thing I built was like, yeah, it was also a browser based video thing. And so lots of interactivity, lots of other like things going on. And it was like really natural to use react for, but now I've inherited this app and I'm like, oh yeah, we just basically need to statically render the majority of it. And yeah, so it, it is definitely like right tool for the job. I'm thinking like, Man, if this was a Rails app, it would just be a cache header. That would be it. Walk us well, one thing yeah, on that with Next, like Next does a terrible job of documenting the like way the static revalidation and ISR behaviors work. If you turn on incremental static regeneration, which is a it's a specific like Boolean you have to turn on in a page prop return, then you really good prefer, like behavior for this flow in particular. The first time somebody loads the page, it gets built and then cached. You can choose how long it's cached for. You can even dynamically revalidate it by calling the new revalidate shift that they built. So you're able to, if you have a page that you want to have update when an admin pushes a change to it, you can add to that API call that pushes or that the change happens on a revalidate call on the page so that it creates a fresh cache instance of it then. Yes, in Rails, you could just put a cache header on it, Technically, in Next, you still can do that if you're responding through API headers or take over the or HTTP response, which you can do. But generally, they're trying to build better like developer experience around this with workflows you can't do through that, in particular, revalidation like programmatically. And I'll just mention, Layerzer does support ISR with Next. And we actually support what they call on-demand. They're calling on-demand ISR, where you can target cash clear, things that have expired. If you're CMS or- And don't you um, offer- managers. Yeah, you go ahead. Did you offer similar things for non-Next frameworks also? Yes. So what we did is, when you said it's, they don't document it well, like they've documented, I think, really well for developers. But if you're a platform and you're trying to recreate ISR and ISG, it is, there's no like open spec on it, on what the behavior should be. You're just basically looking at what they do and then trying to, to imitate it. At least that was the, what it was like when we were trying to do this, I think maybe over 18 months ago. And so what we did is we took the primitives that you might need to have if something is not there, do the rebuild and create an API for that. And we did show a way to do that with Nuxt. The challenge, and this is where I think actually ISG, ISG and ISR are really brilliant, is 
it's a bunch of handshaking between the cache infrastructure and the front end code to know, for example, then they have this placeholder page, for example, that gets spun up if it's a effectively a miss and there's no built version of it. And then it knows once it's built that, hey, I can grab the JSON version. I can do a client side transition to the now fully rendered version of the page. And then somebody else who navigates independently can come in and get just the fully hydrated or fully statically rendered version of that page. And all that handoff requires knowledge in the framework to do the right thing on the front end. And so we did this with Nuxt, but with Nuxt it's a little harder because it doesn't have the front end framework knowledge inherent in it. And so you have to add that yourself. Have you so tried yes. with Svelte or Svelkit? We, I have not tried it personally with Svelte or Svelkit, but the API we built out to support it could make it work, but I have not personally tried it. We've done it with Nuxt because after Next, it's probably the, the next most popular uh, platform. I was under the impression, sorry, I was under the impression Svelte Kit in particular was going the remix approach where it wasn't doing like caching as a framework primitive so much as you would throw a header on it and expect your like deployment architecture and your like CDN to do the right thing. So you might know more than I do. That seems to be a lot of the conventional way to handle caching. The challenge with that is that the cache control header underspecifies caching in a lot of ways. It's hard to know, for example, how to do something like cache key normalization. So if somebody adds a query parameter, is it the same thing or is it different? Like a classic example we often use is when somebody shares something on social media, say from Instagram and it goes to the web page. at least the last time we looked at this, there's like a million query parameters. There's UTM parameters that are used by Google Analytics, client side, there's like maybe the SKU ID of the product, there's an additional parameter that Instagram added to every single link, which is a unique user ID, or at least a anonymous user ID so that you could correlate did the same person come back multiple times, or was it three independent visits if you got three hits. And so it, a regular CDN looks at that and says, oh, these URL parameters, they're all the same. They're, sorry, they're all different. I don't know which one is affecting the actual server-side rendering of it. And so the cache control header doesn't let you say, oh, you should only listen to the SKU ID parameter and those UTM variables and that underscore user parameter. They don't matter. The client-side code will figure that out. Um, and so that's one of the areas we've tried to iterate on and make it really clear, hey, let's get the caching really working as best as possible. Let's cache as much data as possible at the edge. because and at least our philosophy, the Jamstack is really just about serving data from the edge as often as possible. In fact, that's what a CDN is. It should try to serve data as close to the user as possible and as often as possible. And if you can do that in a, shall we say, a conventional setup where you're still doing server-side rendering, you're as close to Jamstack, except for the very first, or I should say static Jamstack, except for the very first hit. And that's my challenge with when it's just a cache control header is it just doesn't specify things enough for a developer to optimize it. And it's also not a very native API for front-end developers. Like developers have learned from watching what's happened with Next is that they find it easier when they're just sitting in React and writing the code around it. Like even just a helper function that emits the right cache control header just unlocks more productivity or usage from developers. At least that's been our experience, but I could talk forever on caching. So, so Svelte is going the route of just cache control header, it sounds, is that correct? As far as I know, from when I last checked, my knowledge is admittedly quite a bit behind. I haven't built anything with Svelte kits since like the first alpha. So yeah. like right after they killed, what was the thing called? The uh, Snapback Zapper. It was right after. Zapper, I, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty friendly with the Snowpack guys. I love Fred to death. I'm much more knowledgeable of what's going on in Astro than I am in Svelte at the moment. Honestly, like it might my, my take for those like super performant solutions is mm -hmm. if I cared, I would use Astro as much as possible and then pull in solid when I need dynamic behaviors. And that's what I do now for like my blog and shit. And re React is for apps. Oh, interesting. So we've had both Ryan from Solid and Fred from Astro on the JavaScript Jam proper pod to demo of those solutions. I think both of those are really fascinating frameworks and approaches. I like what they're doing. And I'm especially encouraged that Astro just added SSR support. I think of Astro with SSR and the page transitions API and some of that 
could mean things that like blogs and e-commerce sites don't necessarily need to be single page apps anymore and they don't need that overhead. AstroWeb SSR is the PHP replacement I've been waiting for personally. It is <laughs> the quickest way to like type safe, write out a bunch of things you want on the top of the file and then render HTML on the bottom of the file. It's so nice for that in particular. Like if I wanted to quickly hack out like a site that is pulling data from a server like dynamically and not have that run on client and have that be cached, Astro is, Astro's SSR, even as like somewhat fragile as it is because it's so new, is by yeah. far the fastest to up, get up and running solution with the best, I have to say best, the simplest DX for it, for sure. The magic of const user equals await prisma.user.find, like where ID equals query param, and just have a type safe user you can inline in your HTML below that without having to build anything between the two. Like the backend code's on top, the HTML's on bottom. And that's as dumb as that sounds, the simplicity makes a ton of sense for a lot of the web. Yeah, it's like in, in those view single file components, except even simpler. It's just here's the JavaScript that runs on the backend, and then here's everything kind of co-located together. I actually haven't played with Astro SSR yet. We are building out our Astro SSR support right now. It should be coming very soon. But yeah, I'm a big fan of kind of the approach they took there. And actually, we're working on potentially having some content at the upcoming Composability Summit around micro front ends and potentially even Astro as well, as, well as agnostic you, which is to kind of build components in a framework agnostic manner, which I'm really looking forward to. You mentioned sort of solid. My... Oh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? One of my favorite things about Astro is it feels like they're trying to build framework for frameworks in a lot of ways. Like I could see a future where instead of solid building out their equivalent of Svelte Kit or Next, they would make templates with Astro being the other side. I've joked before with Fred and he hates when I do it, but I think that Astro is competing more with Veep than it is with like other frameworks because of its nature of like you bring in the dynamic framework you want. You can bring in React, Preact, Solid, whatever mm -hmm. in your Astro project. And it gives you the build pipe, the deployment solution, and the backend and render pipes for your dynamic web framework. And it's also competing with 11D. It's coming at it from the two ends of eating the static side and the dynamic part at the same time. So if 11D can't figure out a good solution of bundling in something like React or React-like framework, then people are going to start moving over to Astro because it gives them that little extra boost they can't get from a purely static tool like 11D. Mostly agree. I think that the spice I'm adding is like Astro looks like it's doing that, but what it's actually doing is competing with Veep because the of the like people it's replacing and the responsibility that's replacing. I'm trying to think about this in, in like a higher like ecosystem level perspective, not just where would I put this instead of something I'm already using, more how is this going to affect the way other web develop or other libraries and framework developers think about these things. And Astro feels to me more like something I would drop into my build pipe or framework then like eagerly drop into my stack right now due to how minimal it is but how clear its inputs and outputs are it feels like a really nice part of a system rather than just a, another like static site builder so i agree with that because i'm doing the same thing i'm using v on projects and astro projects it's just it's interesting to me from a more of a like the camps perspective is people like people are in camps like whether we want them to be or not and so there's certain people in certain camps who are seeing these tools and wanting to jump from one to the other but then the other interesting bit is that it can compete with Vite, but there's also all these other frameworks now using Vite as well so the way Vite is going is being driven by all of these different projects using it at the same time for their own kind of needs so to me Vite, i see it as like the underlying layer that everyone's trying to agree on. Then the question is how much do you want to abstract Vite? Do you want to just expose Vite in your framework or do you want to build your framework in a way that you don't know Vite is the underlying tool? Very fair. And this is what you just said is pretty much exactly Fred's stance. I tend to like push and nudge and point out that right now, almost every framework maintainer has to become a Vite expert if they want to have decent build times. Like the amount of time, like the Remix guys and uh, Ryan on Solid, and even like Tanner Lindsley in his free time spend deep in the internals of Vite in order to make anything happen. Is... Yeah, I did this with Ben Holmes on, on Slink of the Oven. <laughs> so I agree, I've been there. Yeah, I think that Astro is uniquely positioned to compete with that by doing the things, like when I think of somebody who 
uses Vite versus somebody who works with Vite, Astro is going to make working with Vite feel unnecessary to a lot of people. A lot of, everyone will still use Vite for a bunch of shit, but right now there are too many developers who understand the internals of Vite that I honestly don't think need to, and Astro is challenging their need to. Yeah, I think, and then that's, I think you could make the same case for Spellkit from that angle for sure. And that's why I definitely like meta frameworks in general. Yeah, I think I agree with that. That take, I think I probably have a hard time with it because I already know the internals of V, so I have that edge, but most people shouldn't need to know that. <laughs> totally. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here since we're halfway past and just do yeah. what I like to call the station break. Welcome everyone to JavaScript Jam Live. JavaScript Jam is a podcast on front end and full stack development. JavaScript Jam Live is our Twitter space equivalent. It is effectively what I like to call an open mic for anything JavaScript or full stack web development related. We like to be audience driven as much as possible. We have a panel, a rotating panel of regular guests that typically show up, but we love it when it's audience driven. So if there's a question you have or a topic you want to talk about, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up to the stage. And whether you're a beginner or an expert, we want to hear from you. Um, we will jump between very deep topics to very high level topics, even things like how do I take my career to the next level has been a, a common topic we're willing to talk about. So I would also feel free to, to Alex and... talk about TRPC yeah. if we want to get Alex to hear to talk about TRPC. That'd be tight. <laughs> Wasn't about to say that. Okay, let's we got a legend yeah, in the audience. Absolutely. But real quick, I do also just want to say, hey, if you are up here speaking or feel free to share this out with others, the more people we get in, the more effect we can have on other people and just that value that we can deliver. And that's what we're all about, is just delivering value to many as many people as possible and having fun while doing it. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening in the audience there and you hear something that you like from these speakers here and you're just really enjoying and getting value from them please follow them as well. That's what we're here for, to create community and just all benefit from this and have a good time. Yep. And uh, just a reminder, we are live here at Render ATL. It is popping out here, guys. Really a good time. And we've had several people stop by and scan the JavaScript GM Twitter handle here and join in. So super exciting. So uh, I think, Anthony, you were, you, wanted, you were suggesting having Alex talk about TRPC. Let's see if we can get Alex invited. Among up all sorts of other topics he could pontificate on, I imagine. Okay. Might be a little late where he is, but if he's down to talk, he's always a fun person to bring up. I can yeah, give a quick overview for Yeah, now. Theo should I definitely do, that, do the TRPC 101 for people. Yeah, okay, I got yeah, the let's start there. I don't even know what TRPC is, so let's start there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Can of worms. Is, TRPC is the solution to my back-end, front-end problem. It lets me write a function on my back end and call it on my front end with type safety between the two without thinking about anything in between. If my back end is TypeScript and my front end is TypeScript, why do I keep inventing new things in the middle? TRPC questioned why we kept doing that and solved it with an RPC-like syntax. In React, it wraps React Query. You deploy it on top of things that are Express compliant. And now you have a single endpoint you hit with strings and JSON blobs, and it responds with the thing that you expect. That makes sense. In fact, it from people who are used to RPC, it's like surprising we didn't have this already. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So I'm Alex. I created TRPC. We actually just passed six thousand stars on GitHub tonight. I think like today. Hi. Uh, thank you. I wish it had some correlation to some income, but it doesn't really do that for me. <laughs> but yeah, RPC is just like it's amazing. I, like. TRPC for me is scratching the itch. Theo was talking about PHP earlier. And for me, TRPC is like scratching my own itch by from missing PHP and how I did things 15 years ago when I was just like writing database query in line of sort of a .php file and just rendered some HTML from that. And it's not like Astro, but like... You can use TRPC in like a React Native app or a React app, and on your backend you use like your write functions basically, and then you can use to import that logic on your on your front end. You can even use TRPC in Redwood if you want to. This is something that Peer Pistorius has done. Yeah, there's a bunch of people doing that. Is it like so yeah, it's actually similar to like Blitz in a certain sense in terms of the philosophy behind it, and so there seems to be fair amount of crossover there. And I'm curious, what is the status of how TRBC is going to be worked into Blitz 2.0? Podcast with Alex and, or, and 
or Brandon a while back. Brandon's also in Y Combinator with me. We just finished our batch. Or judging by like how much control. I struggled to even be part of these conversations, I have no idea how he has the time to re-architect the framework and run a company that's growing very quick. So I wouldn't personally expect too much from Blitz for a bit, just because Flybayer is so deep in running a company at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, he has other people in the flight control project that's taking over Blitz now. I don't think, I think he officially stepped down from coding a couple of weeks ago. So I don't think he will be the one pushing the needle on the next version of Blitz. But I know they're scheduled to do a lot of like conference talking and stuff on the, the new for stuff. The to continue together and to like work off of each other and continue to exist. So like Blitz is not, the idea is not for Blitz to slow down, it is for other people to take it on exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I've had Brandon on my podcast four times, so I've been talking many times about these things. Yeah, but... Yeah, so the question earlier was like, how is the TRPC and Blitz collaboration going? And I think we just like, after that conversation together with Theo, we put a pin in that because we had some sort of fundamental disagreements on how design of such a thing would look like. We're going in two different directions there. Like one of the fundamental things for me with TRPC that is that I don't want to be involved with any sort of build tooling. Like I don't want to be a Vita expert. So everything that you see in TRPC is TypeScript first and doesn't require any build tooling whatsoever. All the magic and the client is just importing a type from the backend and not like actually importing something from the backend and then letting the build tools somehow magically strip it away. And there were some disagreements with how such an approach would look like and also like how context propagation and stuff would work in the resolvers. So I think we're just going in two different directions there. And apart from Blitz, there's also a few other new contender, like contenders to this space. There's a new thing coming out called Gravity that looks pretty cool. I had a talk with the creator of that the other day. And then there was another one that looks pretty impressive too, which was also, there's a bunch of other projects in the space. And it's just cool to see like this popping up and we all take inspiration from each other. Yeah, no, it's great. Cause it's an idea that a lot of people were able to like kind of latch onto and be like, yeah, this is a good idea. And so everyone now is giving their own take on it. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Awesome. Good to hear. Alex, you're yeah, not really bragging good. enough, so I'm going to do it for you quick. I want to <laughs> emphasize how cool it is that there's no build or compiler step necessary to have a type-safe solution from your back end to your front end. This is like every other solution. This has some crazy heavy watcher that's waiting for files to change and then writes a new type definition that you're using on your front end. This implementation is so good that you don't even have to save the file in your back end to start getting type errors in your front end. If I have a Prisma call where I'm grabbing users and I'm selecting their name and I switch from true to false, I get a type error on the component that's open in the other tab before I even hit save. And that's because it's fully living in TypeScript's like compiler because of some of the wizardry Alex has done there. As a result, you don't need to add anything to your build or to your like framework really as a whole you're consuming a package like you would any other. This package just gives you the best DX I've ever had between my backend. Is, is this similar to AWS Smithy tool? Hello? Can't say I'm familiar. I... Yeah, I'm not familiar to, with that. Can you explain what that is? Because Amazon just released, not that long ago, they had an open tool with Smithy, which is like an open API. I'm not quite familiar, but it's they open sourced it but it's a really cool tool where it allows them to create APIs across all the different services. So they open source it. So I just wanted to know if this is like similar to that tool. Is that language agnostic tool? So like the whole yeah, premise yeah, of your... Yeah it's, yeah, it's like that, yeah. Okay, cool. no, it's, it's not similar in that way. That's probably relies on a, like a spec in another language, similar to how GraphQL has their own language, where you write in a, now in a second language that then compiles to TypeScript or whatever language you're using, and then using the generated type that's from that to do your logic. And, I just uh, read it up into it a bit. It's actually even further. It doesn't have opinions about how you should implement it on the other side. It is literally just the language for making your own new imaginary schema type. All right. So it's like protobufs. 
ish. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like an in between of protobuf and GraphQL, and I don't personally see any reason to use this right now. Yeah, I don't see why it exists when like we have protobufs and GraphQL already. AWS has struggled getting GraphQL adoption for a bit. They've tried three or four GraphQL tools, and even when they made good ones, nobody wanted them, so they're trying to figure out what to do instead. I have no idea what's going on at AWS. I used to have some friends there, but I've lost all contact on my internal comms there, so I have no idea what's going on I, anymore. A, a decent but, amount of people use AppSync, but they use it through the guise of usually of an AWS metaphor where they kind of packages it up for them in a simpler manner. Yeah. <laughs> To Paul's question before, are these things like similar? I would say TRPC is almost like the inverse, where rather than having no opinion on the language or being a, its own language, having no opinion on the other sides, by having a strong opinion on the sides, it's TypeScript on the back and the front, you skip all the meta bullshit. And that's what it is. It's very Smithy's a new type of meta bullshit. TRPC is the absence of it. Yeah, so TRPC is useless unless you're using TypeScript everywhere right now. And that's the direction that decided to go in because I use TypeScript everywhere. But that to say, like, you could do a compiler that used the TypeScript definitions and generate a client in another language. It's just that I haven't cared would about that, going in that direction. Would there be a performance issue with the... TypeScript because you have to compile down to JavaScript. I mean, there's a few. I'm curious what you mean when you say performance issues. Like JavaScript and the V8 engine is pretty performant. So there's no real issue in scaling like a Node.js service. There is, however, like some some pains with TRPC currently that I'm working on for the new majors that Theo is starting to experience now that he's getting a really big backend. And that is like the TypeScript inference at some point gets really heavy for the com compiler and you end up having the TypeScript language server crashing sometimes. You have to restart it. And also that the feedback loop is not as snappy as just like updating a file and then seeing the output straight away in that file. It, it might take like a few seconds if you have a big router. But that's still a much better experience than using like a GraphQL cogeneration or something like that. Yep, when it breaks very clearly, and it honestly doesn't happen too often. It's like once or twice a like long code session. Usually happens when I leave my editor open for too long and I haven't touched it. But that's just like TypeScript's doing the heavy lifting here, not JavaScript. And the actual compile times are still pretty fast for us. Like my build times on Vercella are still right like under two fifteen. I'd say two minutes, 15 seconds, which is fine for the size of our code base and like what we're building. And again, like the magic of I write a function and then I call it. I don't really think about it beyond that. The crazy moment I had, one of the engineers that I brought on at Ping, they were a ramen chef at the time and they were building game engines in Zig for fun. I didn't know how they would feel about doing web dev. So I like sent them our stack. I was like, hey, if this is interesting to you. I don't want like you having a job you're going to hate if you want to do low code stuff. Or like low and like really deep low level stuff. And they just fell in love with it super fast, brought them on full-time. They built a bunch of full-stack like parts for our project, like admin panels or methods to activate, deactivate users, stuff like that. All back-end, front-end, queries, database changes, whatever. We then started specking out another project that was going to be a different repo. So we like built a whole like project plan schema, sat there for a few hours and chatted. And at the end, they were like, I feel so embarrassed asking this, but I really need to know, what's an endpoint? Up until that point, they had been building very successfully and productively full stack solutions and due to the way our system works with trpc next.js and just generally typescript everywhere the concept of an endpoint hadn't mattered until that point they just wrote functions and called them wow that is the nirvana that that blitz and other folks are going for that that you don't even have to think about the endpoint that's pretty amazing yeah the reason yeah, that's, that's awesome trpc or sorry the reason I chose TRPC over those solutions was I didn't want to buy all in on a huge framework to do this. TRPC was a package I could install on my existing solution, try it out for a few things. And if I liked it, adopt it more. I adopted it for two new APIs initially, ended up really liking it and just went on like a rampage over the weekend and moved everything over to it, ended up deleting two thirds of our code and had a way better experience. It's like very easy to adopt. And in the end, since you're just writing functions, it would be trivial for me to make external APIs for like our mobile app and things if we don't want to use TRPC for that. I just have functions. I can put functions anywhere. 
I've noticed your philosophy for adopting technology is you want very piecemeal things so you're not buying a whole opinionated kit and caboodle like Braille style. Exactly. I've is... been burned too many times by like big projects or big solutions, bad decisions. I want the ability to opt in and out on a more granular level and replace things without everything falling apart. I was about to ask, have you been burned in the past? Do you have an example you can talk about? I helped with, or I helped push for and then do the rewrite where we moved Twitch over from Rails plus Ember to GraphQL going mostly on the back end and React TypeScript on the front end because of how bad the Rails experience was. But we bought in too hard on GraphQL going and as a result, like iteration time on back end was not quite what it should have been. And mm -hmm. the interop of front end and back end developers was nowhere near what it should have been. GraphQL became a wall between the two. And since it was so heavily adopted, as much better as it was, it didn't let us have the flexibility to keep improving. And that's what kills me. Like when a decision prevents growth, even when the engineers are motivated to do it, that's when I feel you've made a bad decision. So there are people who consider GraphQL going to be a replacement for the backend frontend pattern. And the solution is having this really well-defined contract. But it sounds like what you're arguing is you want to not have to think about backend versus frontend to a certain extent. That remark, I, what's an endpoint? Where do you fall in that philosophy in terms of architecture? I like to be able to change the decision when it makes the most sense to. And for right now, where we're at with a small team that's building quick and has developers that kind of need to know everything, it helps so much to have solutions that we can do that with. But in the future, we would be able to break things up and split it if it makes more sense for owners to have different solutions for different pieces. My philosophy is do the thing that's best in the way that keeps you from, or in the, or to the best you can without blocking yourself from changing direction in the future. And preserves optionality as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Alex is going to have way better input on this than me, though. I want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, so the decision on TRPC versus GraphQL, I think that's a matter of scale in a way. And I don't think it's a scale in terms of traffic. It's more because TRPC is actually easier to scale in terms of traffic than GraphQL. I think it's a scale in terms of the number of like sheer people on your project. Like at a team of one, two, five, ten. 20 people, having a hard defined spec will only slow you down. However, at a certain scale, having well-defined contracts for things will actually help you move faster. So for me personally, I've been a GraphQL user for quite a few years before I started to started on work, working on TRPC and I've been a massive ambassador for GraphQL as well. And I still am, I still love it. However, it does slow me down a lot when I'm just like, want to do critical business logic for an MVP or work on product market fit for a small startup, whatnot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, Anthony, this reminds you of the conversation we had on, I don't know if it's been released yet, but on your podcast, FS Jam, and we, I made this analogy, it's like microservices. You don't want to break apart your monolith into microservices if your team doesn't make sense. Like you want that Conway's law, which is that idea your org chart reflects your product. If you have a defined team that operates independently, then yeah, it might make sense to break that off. But if they're all over the place, then it makes more sense to have something that cross cuts. And I should plug your podcast, FS Jam. <laughs> well, Everyone thank you. I appreciate that. Listen and check out. Yeah, no, for me, like I worked at a GraphQL company for like over a year and then got my start working on a GraphQL framework, Redwood. So for me, like GraphQL, I've pitched every possible person you could think of on GraphQL in every possible situation. <laughs> so I certainly have found every possible way it breaks down, but there's definitely still things that I love about it and would definitely recommend it in certain use cases because the fact that it can be molded to almost anything is because of the front and back end split and because of making the endpoint explicit. Like it's the exact opposite of ignoring the endpoints. It's all about you have this one endpoint and everything gets shoved into that endpoint. Everyone interacts with that single endpoint. So you can't not think about the endpoint. And so it's really just like a matter of philosophy, whether you want to do that or you want to make it entirely invisible. Is there a dimension besides like scale in terms of team size or number of teams, I guess it goes to summarize, you know, 
what I said and, and Alex said, besides that as why you might use GraphQL? Number of clients consuming, I would say, is the big one, like different types of clients. So sure. if you have yeah. one mm -hmm. website consuming versus a website and a mobile app that's written in Swift instead of TypeScript, then you might want to start looking into something like GraphQL. The way I like to frame this is different dimension. It's time. It's if your company succeeds and the thing you're building succeeds, where do you expect it to go? Do you expect it to have additional clients? And at that point, are you willing to make a change? For us, PRPC is buying us a ton of time before we have to make the GraphQL decision. And when we do have to make the GraphQL decision, we have a bunch of functions we can plug into our GraphQL schema and hopefully from there resolve like a good API because we have all the functions already written. I am not the most confident in that path, but we have that option once we get to a point where PRPC isn't solving for all of the clients we have and all of the like problems we have or the amount that our team is growing and the different types of products that we're shipping. But TRPC is delaying that decision. I would argue that Redwood, and this was so interesting, I really need to get one of y'all on the podcast for it. I've been meeting to, I have my schedule yeah. insane. I'm so sorry. I owe you. Yeah, we'll do that ASAP. But my thought there is it's making the decision earlier with as little additional burden as possible. It's like, doing the thing that's correct for two to four years from now, right now, while minimizing the burden, whereas TRPC is delaying the decision for as long as possible. So we know if this company is going to work or not before we do the hard work. So you want to have at least a little bit of forward thinking engineering going to be set up for something in the future, the immediate future. Yes. Gotcha. Good stuff. It's like, how much runway does this decision buy me is the, one of the ways I like to think of it. Like, how much am I putting in and how much runway do I get from it? TRPC is like getting, it's like negative effort to add it and start using it. And it buys me a decent bit of runway. Redwood would be a decent bit harder for us to adopt because we're already deep on the solution we have, but it would buy us even more runway. Going all in on GraphQL would be, a, in like setting up our own like infra and stuff for it, would be a huge investment, but it would theoretically set us up with a lot of runway. But now that runway better be in the right direction because if we were wrong when we made that prediction, we're fucked. And that's the other right. reason I don't like investing heavily in runway is you're committing to a direction. Yeah, and that's why for me, buying into Redwood was a multifaceted decision and like having faith in both the team and the community and the now financial kind of safety involved in it because Tom is like actually funding it publicly. There's a lot of things pointing in a good direction, but it's always going to be a risk. So that's why you really want to like, get to you want your part you're partially buying into the team along with the technology which is i think can be a good pitch if the team's gonna stick around i feel like people have invested in the next team and they've been pretty happy with that decision absolutely agree even with next though i try to use as little of it as possible so i can theoretically move off if i ever need to i will probably try porting us to remix at some point just for fun and see how the, it performs and like what the experience is like as a developer on top if i keep using trpc but in a different environment I even have yeah. a YouTube video where I port one of my Next.js React apps with TRPC over to Solid.js, and I wrote a quick Solid binding for it, too. Super fun. Yeah, definitely a big fan of Solid. We've had Ryan on FSGM. Super cool dude, but we should probably pass this back to the host because we're getting close to the hour here. <laughs> no yeah. worries. No, this is awesome. Guys. Yeah, I went ahead and linked it to one of your tweets on FSGM podcast. It was like the latest FSGM tweet you put out and it looks like i'm in there hey look at that what a coincidence <laughs> anyway this is awesome it's been such a great time hearing all these wonderful conversations actually i do have someone joining me sitting on the couch just listening as well this is pretty awesome it's been such a great experience here so far at render atl over the next couple of days it's just gonna be that much more fun and, and i'm gonna document that process and share that with you all i'm really excited about it anything else that you want to say here i know we got about five minutes left so we do have a bit of time but i do real quick before we hand over to you sean i just want to say hey if you've gotten value from the speakers up here please do follow them click on their uh, image there and follow and obviously follow javascript gm as well because we do this every wednesday at 12 p.m pacific standard time and lately uh, it's been at a lot of different live events so it's been fun being able to get other people in here that are part of the conversation it's been really great thank you all so much for being here today and with that i'll pass it on to ishan to, to finish it up here yeah, we've only got a few minutes and I have a hard stop. If we've got anybody in the audience who is at Render ATL or planning to attend, raise your hand. I'd love to just hear 
what people are interested in seeing at Render Retail. What's like the talk you're most interested in seeing that's on the agenda? And you're like, oh, I want to hear this topic or I want to hear from this person. So go ahead and raise your hand if we've got anyone from Render or if you're feeling shy. Maybe I'll just add, I saw, let's see, did somebody just raise? Nope, they disappeared. An interesting tweet from Ryan about Solid. And it was... It reminded me of that old Oscar Wilde quote, which was like something about the two tragedies, not getting what you want and then getting it. And it was about how Solid has this really nice paradigm that the function runs only once, but then it can trip you up because people who come from React don't seem to expect that and then get confused. So I'm curious, Theo, in your experience, since you've played a little bit with Solid, if you could just tell us what that was like when you did that port in a few minutes. Yeah, I... For me, I've always been like keeping an eye on Solid since I first saw it on HN like four or so years ago and have thought in observables for a long time just from playing with other frameworks that used it. For me, I always liked the difference where it felt like Solid was writing to the page rather than creating a, a dynamic update tree. And the thing for me that like, why I like going between Solid and React so much is I feel like most of the work I do in both is in JSX. It's actually writing the stuff that goes on the client. By using things like React Query and TRPC and frameworks that are in like state management tools that are super simple like Zustan for the React world, I've made it so I'm spending almost no time actually thinking about React. Rather, I'm thinking about what we're rendering and the states that trigger those different renders. And in solid, it's just a bit more literal when you do that. Yeah, he's made the changes to rendering effects more so than having a dynamic tree that needs to be reconciled and updated. Yeah. It's a really fascinating framework. The other one that I think is really fascinating, but I think a little more on the bleeding edge is quick, especially because you can't use closures anymore with it. But it's another one for folks to check out. Looks like we're right at the top of the hour. So I will just thank everyone for joining us. We'd love to, to talk to you all next week. Maybe we can get some folks who did attend Render ATL to come back and tell us what it was like. But thank you, everyone. We'll see you in a week. Absolutely. And one last thing before you all go, just a little shout out here. Go to composability.dev to check out our up and coming summit that we have coming up. Really excited for that. And we've got some amazing speakers lined up and continuing to line up even more. So really excited about it and uh, looking forward to the amazing amazingness that comes from that too thank y'all so much greatly appreciate y'all hanging out today i'll be here live at render atl my name is scott steinloggy feel free to say hello you can see my picture and stuff on javascript jam if you want to know what i look like and just say hi I'd be more than happy to chat have a good conversation and to network a little bit so with that i think that's it thank y'all so much appreciate y'all have a good one we'll see ya next week. <laughs>